On today's episode of Instant Noodles, I chat with Bhargavi Sinha. A designer with a heart for social change, Bhargavi has a mind that is both curious as well as sometimes confused. This 26-year-old, who never says no to either tacos or sushi, talks to me about channeling her light-hearted rebel spirit into the work she does with people and communities, online activism, and how she listens to her gut more than anything else. I'm your host, Meher Zariwala. Hi Bhargavi, welcome to the podcast. Hi Meher, how are you? Uh, I'm well and excited to have you uh, on this episode. Um, So I know you just moved to Pune and uh, setting up your own place. So I don't know if um, instant noodles forms a part of your snack, but if they do, uh, how do you like to have your instant noodles? It's a very interesting question. I think I like my instant noodles as spicy as possible because currently, like I've come to Pune and I've noticed that things are so riled up and, you know, it's so active. Everything is happening. So much is happening. And I think I'm overwhelmed with it, to be honest. But also like when I come back, home and like after setting up my place it just feels nice and cozy and comfortable so and that is exactly what spicy noodles do to me so (laughs) yeah (laughs) so how do you spice it up do you put like cream chilies in it what do you do well I like um a lot of um chili flakes I like cheese I like uh, some paprika I like shazwan so you know you could go with any of those reds Wow, that's like instant noodles on fire. All right, awesome. Um, so I know you you, uh, you just mentioned that you moved to Pune, but I think when I met you, um, you were still studying and um, there was this whole explanation of uh, into the world of design, and especially social design. Um, and now you work in that space also, but um, just sort of rewinding a little bit. Um, you're 26 years old, but over the last sort of, say, six to eight years, um, if I had to say what are some significant things or events that have happened, uh, what really comes to mind? Well, man, the past six to eight years have been a roller coaster, I would say, because uh, I've had so many different kind of experiences. I've had dark phases. I've had phases of losing people. I've had uh, phases of meeting new people and learning from them, getting new opportunities, trying to understand who I am as a person, trying to explore my likes, my dislikes. So I would say that it's been one hell of a wild ride. Um, But a few very stark moments would be me being a rebellion, actually going out there to try my hands on different things. And I would say that was definitely against my parents' wishes because they wanted me to go on a very straight path, on a very conventional route. But I took the different one. And I think that is what I would say helped me to understand who I am and although it's a very dynamic process and I would say that I mean I'm definitely learning more about myself each day 
But having all those varied experiences have actually made me realize how beautiful life is as a whole and how we always need to have different experiences and ups and downs and lefts and rights and, you know, all sorts of directions we could think of just to finally realize what gets you happy and where you'd like your time to be utilized. And um, I think another thing would be Back in the day when I was a kid, I was a lot into spirituality, trying to understand the ways of the universe. And, you know, like as all of us have kind of probably all already touched upon it, which time I've realized um, everybody's going to have bad times. And it's not like it's not like we're always going to be positive. It's not, it's not like in the worst of situations, we have positive thoughts or we kind of attract that. It's not like that. It's basically to accept where we are in the current moment. And I think that sort of acceptance is what I have learned now. Because back in the day, I used to force myself to think positive thoughts and you know, always be nice and happy and all that. But now I've come to realize that absorbing the situation and actually accepting where I am if I'm sad, I'm sad. If I'm happy, I'm happy. But that sense of acceptance is what I've learned. And I think that is one of the most important things for me uh, that have happened, that has happened in the past six to eight years. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's, a, it's quite paradoxical that you said that you've also been a rebel, but also been on this journey to find yourself a lot more, right? So tell me some really crazy rebel things if you'd like to share, you know, that have happened. Okay, well, the first thing I would say is basically going against their wishes in terms of what I would like to study. <laughs> because, I mean, that, that is what I started with. After my 12th, you know, they asked me to take science or engineering or things like that. And along with sociology, I took journalism. And that is definitely not something my parents wanted me to take because they always knew the importance of technical knowledge and uh, looking at how I would get into sociology. I would just be around people and like, you know, understanding social issues. But where would that really lead me? In their heads, it's either corporate or it's the civil services or again, you know, the usual engineers, doctors, etc. But uh, I took sociology and journalism in my bachelor's. And I think that is where I started becoming a rebel. After that, well, uh, time has had its ways with me in the sense of, you know, different relationships, uh, relationships that my parents did not approve of. Um, and then, uh, you know, doing and indulging in activities that my parents did not approve of, uh, you know, going on trips without telling my parents, going on bike trips to the hills and mountains and things like that. So, yeah, that, these are a few of the things that come on top of my head. So tell me, Margini, like coming from somebody who was also called a rebel in her teens and in her 20s, um, where do you think this entire desire to be a rebel comes from, according to you? I'm sure you've thought about it a lot also, right? Yeah, I think it comes from a place of overprotection and over-discipline and where you just want to break out and you want to break free, you know? I mean, I, I come from an army family, which is which was and always is going to be disciplined and highly disciplined. I would not say that my dad was particularly very strict. I would say that my mom was more strict, uh, is more strict. And plus, my parents are quite old. So in that sense, you know, they're coming from the 1950s and 60s. I think they kind of had this notion that they needed to protect me from the world. And I think 
me trying to verbally make them understand things was not really um, taking showing traction so instead i i took it upon myself to just do the opposite and go ahead and put an action and just go out basically Hmm. So, so one is of course the, the protection part, but I think there's also something inside a spirit, right, of a rebel, which is wanting to explore, which is wanting to go towards uh, something which is a little dangerous. There is that desire also. Definitely, definitely. I would say that I'm mostly attracted to everything dangerous and everything like uncalled for i i like to experience things you know like like at least one time you know no matter how dangerous they are but and i need to be responsible as well so i need to be yeah responsibility also comes with being a rebel i feel i mean rebelling is not just about uh, going out doing whatever i want but it's also uh, that's going to affect you affect your mental health affect things like that so i would say that i have been a very light hearted rebel going out doing things that are very light hearted and you know basically for fun uh, nothing serious <laughs> i like that word light hearted rebel so um i know you you mentioned that you took sociology and now you find yourself in the entire world of design so um, tell me how did that switch happen and you know how is uh, what is because that's also part of the work you do now so how has that change been well i mean the switch i think began in 12th where i switched from science to sociology and um, after that i mean initially i thought that i would be continuing my sociology through a sense of journalism and mass communication well i mean if i had to really do well in communities and understand them and you know solve their problems i would have to do that directly and not indirectly media is a very indirect channel and yes i agree media holds a very important role in shaping people's opinions shaping perspectives i wanted to do things on field so that i could see direct impact because that is what brought me happiness back in sociology i was a part of um, this group called inactus a student driven group and it has people from different departments coming together and uh, finding a problem targeting a community understanding where you can intervene and how you can solve a problem i think it was here and i also worked with the safai karamchari community actually i remember on christmas of 2017 uh, i had gone to the safai karamchari community and i celebrated it with them carrying those wafi packets and we gave it to like the different families and their children and uh, you know that was the day when i kind of realized that we are here celebrating our festivals with such pomp and show but uh, you know they 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 don't even have a proper meal you know they have family members who are passing away because they are in such hazardous situations you know situations where they have to manually go and scavenge all the muck that we pro- we produce you know so i mean these are the kinds of small small events that actually made me really passionate about social development and working with different communities working with the most vulnerable communities because i mean money and everything is fine and money is required but you also need a sense of empathy and i think you know with sociology and design especially like social mm. design 
So, so that's what made you sort of want to study social design and took you in that direction. Uh, so before we move to the next question, there's also a very interesting project that you did with uh, in Delhi, um, right? Do you want to talk about that? So in my social design, in our semesters, we were taught various things. So initially we were taught the core of design, you know, the design principles, line, form, function, spaces, communities, it's basically the core design. And then came the social design aspect of it, understanding design and democracy, understanding uh, design and space, understanding vulnerabilities, understanding service systems, product design. In my thesis, I worked with the street vendors community. Um, I was first trying to understand where they come from and how they see themselves. Because vending is a, I mean, apart from the fact that it's, the most utilized and the most accessible, you know, we don't, we would love, we love to go to vendors because it's so convenient and we can bargain. You can't really bargain on an e-commerce platform. You know, you might get discounts, but that's, that's the end of it. But with vendors, you can talk, you have that sense of community. And, you know, there are many people who go sit with vendors, they talk and, you know, you have that whole cultural vibe to it. So I was trying to understand where they come from. And especially in a setting like Nehru Place, which is one of the most vendor friendly and it is known for its, you know, street vending community and uh, cheap and utility things. So I learned a lot. I mean, you know, they face so many different kinds of problems in terms of awareness, in terms of uh, not knowing their act. You know, there's an act in favor of them. They didn't even know about that. Then they were... Um, projected to all sorts of corrupt practices, you know, every single day there were cops coming and collecting 100, 200 rupees and they would, they would earn a meager 250 or 300 per day on the lucky days, I would say. I mean, you know, they don't have any official paper or they don't have any identity per se because of which they're not even able to avail various government schemes. And my project was basically trying to get them as included as possible in the community uh, through policy, I was working with the Delhi Master Plan to try and incorporate a section on street vendors in the Delhi Master Plan of 2041. Then I was working with the Kejriwal government. I pitched my project idea of how we need to get them their vending certificates and how we need to get their surveys done so that we at least have, they have some sort of identity. And because of which they can avail all these social security measures, you know, government schemes and things like that. So... My project spanned across all this, you know, from the individual level to the community level and then to the policy level. So, you know, especially during the last two years in the pandemic, we started talking a lot more about, um, just say, the vendors or uh, the help who comes home, either to cook or keep uh, or support our homes. And we started talking a lot more about the privilege you know, we have versus the ones around us who, like you said, culturally we uh, talk to, we engage with, and we are happy that they're around. And, and the stark contrast really came about. Um, but, you know, coming with that perspective, what do you think about young people who are far more privileged thinking about, you know, these social issues? Because the general narrative is that, um, the young are more concerned about themselves. They're wanting to live in their privileged bubble. Are they thinking enough? Are they uh, engaging enough with communities? 
Well, I would say, okay, bef- before I answer this question, I would just like to say to each his own. But in terms of us being the youth of the country, I think it is also our responsibility to actually look beyond ourselves and at least create a difference, you know, no matter how small it is. True, but, but are young people doing that enough is my question. So... To answer this, I would say in my friend group, I mean, most of them are working towards social upliftment. Most of them are very conscious. It, it, I mean, I feel like there is a segment of people who are realizing the importance of doing social good. And they are doing it in whatever manner they can, you know, the smallest of things. But I would also like to say with social media, with being overwhelmed with choices, you know, they've actually started thinking more about themselves than actively thinking about other people. Um, And I think consciousness and revolving around sustainability, revolving around people is being thrown around a lot. But again, that's what it is being, that's what's being done. It's being thrown around as in they're just merely words. You know, If, if any, any one event occurs, people are going left, right, and center, publishing or posting stories about it, or you know, getting people to talk about it, holding dialogues in the online community. But is that really getting translated in reality? Is the question, you know. Talking about it versus actually putting in action and doing whatever bit you can. There would be a pool of like a, a group of people who'd say that because they're not able to do it in reality, they are maybe devoting their time, devoting their resources, devoting, like, you know, pitching in money or things like that. And that's absolutely understandable, doing whatever bit is needed. But according to me, I feel that this day and age needs more people actively doing things on field or going out and about rather than just talking about it or thinking about it or merely being political or economic or social or anything of the sort in them in their heads. I think somehow uh, just doing online activism also sort of gives me a kind of validation that I did do something. Yes, yes. Uh, it it uh, sort of it gives me. Um, it's like I'm off the hook because I actually did my bit. Right. But I think the question to ask is, can that bit be a little bit more? Or I think to add to that, I would say that, say you have a screen, right? And you're writing on that screen and then it gets written and written and it's got all these layers. But you're not really puncturing a hole, right? It's just a screen. It remains a screen. So until unless you puncture a hole through it, you know, the impact can't really be seen. But again, even drawing on that screen is actually creating awareness. And for the people who don't know about a certain topic, they get aware about it. So maybe they will talk more and, you know, that's like a chain effect. You know, it's going to keep going. And maybe ultimately reach people who actually want to do something. So that's also fine. But my perspective to this is to talk less and do more. Hmm. So tell me now, you know, with uh, this entire sort of decade, doing the work that you do now, uh, as well as all the crazy adventures that you have. Um, who are some of the significant sort of people who've played a role in your life? 
um, and how have they done that? In terms of people who have actually affected me, uh, the first one would be my dad because he taught me so many different things. But the first thing that he taught me was whoever you meet, always make sure to you know, make them feel as comfortable and be as friendly just so that they can, you know, they feel good about meeting you every other time. And my dad was so friendly. He would just make friends with any Tom, Dick and Harry, you know, he, he, he was the most friendly person you would ever meet. Another person would be, um, well, there's this mentor of mine called Sharik, sir. He was in my design studio. He was, um, uh, the head of the incubation center at, at my university in Ambedkar University, and he was always critical of my projects. He was always he would always push me to think, you know, push me on the brink. And most of the times, I would not get the answer that he would need. But you know, just the fact that he kept criticizing my work and kept saying no, and you're doing wrong, and uh, so I would say that he was a very, very major player in shaping who I am and in fact, shaping my design, design mind. Then I would say that uh, a few of my friends, uh, one of them being my ex would also hold prominence because so he comes from a business background. And when I was with him, uh, I was always questioning the idea of money. And at the time, because I was in sociology and you know, I was always trying to understand minimalism and what money does to people, the power of money, what it does to your mind, whether money is really needed, whether you should only be doing social good. So I think he shaped my perspective to understand that money is a very important thing and that you need to have a balance. And with time, I've kind of realized how that there can be a balance and there should be a balance in uh, not only having a profit mind, but also having a social mind. Then um, my current boyfriend, and he's also shaped me and my mind. He's actually brought me down to reality to understand things in a more practical way and um, thinking practically about people thinking practically about values and principles that we hold because he's very strong in them. And um, yeah, so I think he would also be a major player. <laughs> so, um, you know, just to, to end the entire thing about relationships, I know that you also lost your dad very recently. Um, and it was also at the end of the whole crazy pandemic situation that, you know, we were all in while we were not working during that time. Uh, well, because it's been only about a month, I just feel that it's too soon to answer that because right now I think I'm still still in the grieving process. But there is one thing that mom and I had discussed back when all this was happening, back when he was in the hospital, that we had only one or two hours to visit him every day. And at the time, I saw all these families around, you know, in a very similar situation as us, trying to cope, you know, trying to make the patient feel like they're not a patient and they're a part of the family, you know, because when they're in the ICU, when they are in setup, they are reduced to being a patient who's on life support. You know, their vitals are only tracked through the screen. You know, so they lose that touch of being human, which is what I kind of realized that, you know, for the people, for the families of patients who are in the ICU, you know, they really need mental health support. And 
they really need people to talk to although most of the time they can't really verbalize what they're feeling but all this has shed a lot of light upon the fact that mental health for families is equally important because at the end of the day they are the ones who are being strong for the patient they are the ones who are doing everything for them and you know i feel mental health is something that needs to be discussed way more i mean it's already started uh, being talked about in india and i think this has only happened ever since covid uh, covid struck and i feel it needs to be talked more because um, not everybody is able to grieve properly not everybody is able to talk and yeah yeah and i think that's an you know we, we do talk about mental health but when you become caregivers to somebody who's not feeling well it's just an assumption that you know that's something you need to do but we don't talk enough yes uh, beyond the duty part that what is it doing to the mental health of the caregivers right 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 yeah. and i think that's very important because it affects them equally bad Tell me, like in twenty twenty two, as a twenty six year old, what's what's great about being young, and what's not so good also? So I think being twenty six and twenty twenty two is more about dynamism and exploring oneself. What is good is that we have ample opportunities to try our hands on, and what is not good. is that we have ample opportunities that we can try on because it gets so overwhelming so in that sense i think being this young in this day and age we have that capacity to explore and uh, make the most of everything that there is to be offered but this gamut this entire vast gamut of choices is also something that causes great anxieties and that overwhelms us because whenever there are more choices than you need you just don't know what to do and you get so confused you don't know which direction to take so uh, yeah so how do you cope with, with that kind of anxiety well i go with my gut because uh, and i go with my gut and my heart you know i would say that i go with my heart more than my gut with my gut in terms of being uh, a rebel i would say and in with my heart in terms of being doing what i want to do and actually being happy in what i'm doing so even with all these choices i would select one which i actually feel happy in and which feels right which feels right and not which i practically and rationally can you know infer that this might get me happiness down the right, down the road so mm. i think that way mm. i just choose what i love doing that's all so um tell me how has it been joining the workforce i know it's a new job new yeah. city yes. you're excited <laughs> tell me you know um uh, how that has been now uh, um what should people who are older to you you know really be sort of know more about young people uh who they working alongside or will be in the future well to answer the first part of the question how has it been it's not been easy <laughs> because even grabbing hold of an opportunity these days is very difficult especially with the onset of pan- mm. of the pandemic i mean i it took me 2 years to finally land a job that i really like and this actually came to me rather than me 
pushing for it. Uh, you know, I mean, of course, the pandemic has has, has kind of disrupted the the whole market job industry, not in a good way. But now things are coming back to normalcy and things are coming back to their um, ways. For a young person to be in the workforce, especially uh, especially in a place like Tata Motors, is is different because I see both sides of the coin. You know, I see people who are who have been working there for decades in a row, and I I also see people who are really young, freshers, fresh out of school, fresh out of college. And the for the people who belong to the first category, I would say it's very difficult for them to, you know, get new perspectives. You know, they still live in that age-old traditional way of doing things because it's comfortable. It's something that they've been doing for the longest period of time. And to get new and fresh minds and, you know, fresh minds who like innovation, fresh minds who like disruptions, you know, fresh minds who, who ask why is not easy to get but i'm very very fortunate to get a mentor to get a boss who also is young and very dynamic and who is very very willing to listen to what i have to say and although he gives me and he gives me utmost freedom to actually learn from different people and to you know find my place and it's only then that he'll start giving me responsibilities after he knows and he realizes that I've actually started understanding the process as well. And I love that about this company that, you know, and of all the people I've met, apart from the fact that I have seen the whole idea of convention and the whole idea of just doing what they've already done and being scared of new things. I've also seen the other side, which is, okay, let's bring more, you know, fresh innovations in the in the picture let's let's get some new things so that even the 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 older generation can learn from and they can also adapt because if we are adaptable i think they also need to be adaptable and that is what the, my company is changing towards it's it's gearing towards so mm. yeah um so moving on what do you in your opinion what are some of the misconceptions that the world has of you know young people uh, are you being like harshly judged for some things well definitely i think the first thing is that most of them are very loud and uh, loud by loud i mean loud in their actions and loud in their words and uh, they're very stubborn you know, they just want to do what they want to do. They don't want to listen to their parents. They don't want to follow conventional norms. They want to have new things. You know, they want to always, um, you know, I would say do what the trends are, you know, go with the trends, follow trends. I think that's what they're being judged on the most. And that is that, I mean, that they're breaking free. You know, that they're, they're leaving behind ideals and value systems of the olden days. And that they have started to become too carefree for people to actually accept, you know. So these are a few things that we, I think, are being judged on. But I think for people, they also need to realize that education brings a sense of freedom and open-mindedness. Because the previous generations have definitely 
seen lesser than we have. They've seen lesser opportunities because of which I feel their minds have become a little narrow. And they're also not that willing to adapt, right? And because we have been exposed to so many different services, so many activities, so many view, worldviews, we have been globally interconnected. So we have seen different cultures. In that sense, I think we're becoming more acceptable of different things. And that is what they're not ready to accept, that we are being more acceptable. Yeah, I think this is one thing that, uh, you know, they need to understand and maybe break away from because it's a very, very uh, sturdy box and, you know, they really need to, you know, maybe break, break out of it. So is dialogue needed uh, in situations like this? And um, it, it sort of segues into my next question, right? Like, what is it that people in their, who are not in their 20s should be actually asking and talking more to people in their 20s to really bridge this kind of uh, gap in misconceptions that is there? Well, the first thing would be to ask what their views on different social, cultural, economic, you know, political aspects are. Because not everyone is as strict in their minds as maybe the previous generation. You know, they're a little more fluid in their views. So I think the first thing would be to listen rather than just hear Listening is something that they need to really actively do. Mm. Uh, and by listening, I mean also questioning themselves, you know. It's more of listening to what the other party has to say, but also questioning and letting go of my or their biases. Because they have many. And so do we. It's not like we all, we don't have biases. They have different mm -hmm. biases. Biases which end up judging us. So I think the first thing they need to do is listen intently. The second thing they need to do is ask us our viewpoints, ask us where we come from and why our views are constructed the way they are. Hmm. So, so what's Bhargavi looking forward to in the future? What are you really excited about, apart from your new job and your new house? Well, I'm excited to travel, actually, because I've not been able to do that on my own. And uh, now that I have some sort of financial freedom, I'd like to travel as much as I can. And I'd like to explore new places, new people, new cultures. Uh, I would also, I'm also looking forward to a sense, you know, feeling that sense of financial freedom because I haven't yet. I mean, I mean, it's just like, I just started my work. So that is another thing. And I'm also looking forward to, you know, studying a little more because uh, I want to pursue like another master's degree. So let's see if that's in the cards anytime soon. <laughs> so what are you been currently watching, listening or reading? Well, uh, my binge watch, I would say, is Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. <laughs> so every time I'm down, I just go back to it. Um, I'm currently reading a book that my friend gave me. It's called Kafka on the Shore. Uh, so I'm reading that. I just started it. And um, yeah, that's about it. I haven't really got much time to watch series and stuff. So I usually end up watching movies because that's what I like. Any, any interesting movies? Well, I would say Studio Ghibli movies are my favorite. Um, I also like 
any movies that have Vin Diesel. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the the bald headed man, not a fan, like favorite of many, but because of Fast and Furious, here here I am. Awesome, great! It was lovely chatting, and it's always wonderful to experience all the energy and excitement that you have in your spirit. And I'm sure it serves you well, and sometimes it's also a pain. Oh, uh, <laughs> but I think. that's the balance that you know you're trying to sort of achieve but uh, yeah wishing you all all success in maintaining that that balance a lot maher it was great talking to you and all the very best for instant noodles it's going to do very very well in the future just keep at it awesome yep thank you thanks a lot mm-hmm.